Hi, this is Pastor Paul J. Chandran, and you're listening to Life Church Castle Hill podcast. Today's topic is Have the Mind of Christ, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to verse 11. Story was told of a reporter who went to ask the famous conductor, Leonard Bernstein. And Leonard Bernstein was asked this question. What is the most difficult instrument to play in an orchestra? And without any hesitation, he said, second fiddle. Because this is what he went on to explain. I can always get plenty of violinists to play the first violin. But to play the second violin with as much enthusiasm and passion, it is very hard. And this is the key, church. You and I, we need to understand. People always probably would look at the person who is standing on stage and performing, but they don't know that it takes numerous people working behind the scenes, willing to play that second fiddle to be able to do that for that person. Whether it's an orchestra, whether it's a church, whether it's a family, or whether it's a business, there are hundreds, there are thousands of people behind the scenes that make it work. So you and I, we need to pay attention to this. The mindset that they have in order to play the second fiddle and not only play it, but also do it with joy and with the, without complaining and without getting any credit, it takes a certain kind. And that's the kind that Apostle Paul has in mind in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is a passage of scripture where he deals with only one issue, the mindset of a believer. And he's saying this because the mindset of a believer should be to enhance unity in the family, enhance unity in the church, and wherever they are in a community. They could not be divisive. They cannot have their own personal ambition and conceit, and, and therefore, as a result, have a mindset that is seeking after their own interest. But rather, they should have a mindset which is a mindset of humility where they prefer others. They count others better than themselves and they look out for the interest of others. And that is the mindset he's dealing with in chapter 2. But today, I want to take you to verse 5 to verse 11 because he's giving you an example of the mindset in the life of Christ. That Jesus had the same mindset. Now, why do I talk about the mindset here because I already established this in my previous sermon, but if you've just joined us, let me give you the context. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 2, the Bible says this in verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. In this passage, the word phroneo in Greek is repeated at least twice. And Paul coins a unique word which is full accord, which also means unity. In other words, have the same mind, phroneo, have the same mind. In other words, have that one mind, that one soul, being one spirited, having that like-mindedness is what Paul is talking about. And that mindset is what he addresses. So the same word phroneo is repeated three times in this short passage because in verse five, this is how he introduces it. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, have this phroneo, have this mindset, have this attitude, have this way of thinking. What way of thinking? Which is yours in Christ Jesus, which can also be written as, which was in Christ Jesus. In other words, this is the mindset that was in Jesus. 
So he's giving you an example of the mindset. What is the mindset? Mindset he already established in verse 3 and verse 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. So the mindset is clothed with humility. It is not a mindset of agreeing with anything and everything, but it's a mindset of humility. That means with humility, you think others better than yourselves. Not only that, in verse 4, he says that you will look out for the interest of others. In other words, you will prefer others. You will give your life to serve others. You will sacrifice yourself for others. So he's talking about selfless mindset, a sacrificial mindset, a service mindset. And that is the mindset. And he wants to give you an example. So from verse 5 all the way to verse 11, he gives you the mindset of Christ. Three things that I want you to pay attention to about Jesus' mindset. Jesus' mindset is one of lowliness shown in his service, love shown in his sacrifice, and lordship shown in his significance. That's the mindset Paul wants you to embrace. First, it's the lowliness shown in his service. It is the attitude of lowliness shown in his voluntary service. Verse 6 and verse 7, look at what it says. Who, meaning Jesus Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, verse 8, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Twice it talks about this one word, form. I want you to pay attention to a couple of Greek words that I'm going to give you. The first Greek word is morpheo. Morphe. It is the word for form. It is the word for essential nature. It is the word for the nature, the essence, the real essence. And that is the word here. He was in the form of God. It means that Jesus was God. Jesus is God. Yesterday, today, and forever. He was fully God in existence in heaven. But the Bible says... He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Even though Jesus was fully God, he did not want to grasp it. In other words, he didn't want to hold on to it. He didn't want to keep uh, clutch, uh, you know, like uh, uh, grasping it. Why? Because that's what the context is. Listen to me carefully. The world's culture is this. The world's culture is, let's grab whatever we can. If we can gain power, if we can gain control, let's do whatever we can to get our own interests first, secure our own interests. And that is the culture of the world, but that's not the culture of Christ. The mindset of Christ is, he climbs down. Even though he is God, he didn't consider, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That means it's countercultural. Cultural thinking is you grasp it, you grab it, but countercultural, that's the mindset of Christ. I want you to capture this. The word morphe is the word essence, right? And that's exactly what Jesus was talking about here. Here, he did not grasp it. Why is this important? Do you know in the Garden of Eden, the Satan came, came to Adam and Eve and said, God has created you as human beings, but if you eat this, you will become like God. And man partook of that fruit that he was not supposed to partook. Why? So that he can grasp something that he is not. He can become like God. 
<laughs> Listen to me carefully. Man tries to grab something. That's the way man is. Why? Because he was tempted by Satan. How did Satan become Satan? He was an angel that was a worship leader in heaven. But then he wanted to be like God. So he was grasping something that he was not. And therefore he became Satan, Lucifer. Isn't it? The same thing. The whole culture is about grasping. But what Jesus is modeling for us is he didn't grasp his lowliness, he, he was willing to give up his position, his exalted position as God, and he was willing to take the form of a servant. The word there is the word doulos, for a form of a slave being born in the likeness of men. Wow, what a voluntary service. And that is the, that is the attitude of lowliness we see in God. I want you to pay attention to this because C.S. Lewis, uh, the British thinker and writer, he talks about the doctrine of the incarnation as emphatically at the center of Christianity that God came down. He wrote a book called Miracles. And in that there is a, a chapter called Great Miracles and the greatest miracle. And this is what he writes there. In the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down to the very roots and seed bed of the humanity, which he himself created. But he goes down to come up again and brings ruined sinners up with him. Once one has the picture of a strong man stooping lower and lower to get himself underneath some great complicated burden, he must stoop in order to lift but he must almost disappear under the Lord before he incredibly straightens his back and marches off with the whole mass swaying on his shoulders. This doctrine of incarnation is the central truth of Christianity. God becoming man. Did he exist as God? Yes. And did he take the form of servant? Yes. But did he stop being God? No, he was God. He is God. He was fully God and he is fully man. I want you to capture this. So his attitude of lowliness is shown in two things, in what he gave up and what he took on. Let's look at what he gave up. This is what he gave up. He gave up certain things in order to become man in the likeness of man. So what did he give up? Did he give up being God? No. Jesus was always God and always will be God. Go with me to John chapter 14. And Jesus explains this in verse 8. When Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And what was Jesus' reply? Verse 9, he says, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you are still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? <laughs> if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. But you know what? When Jesus was walking on the earth, if you see him, he looked in the form of a man. He, was, he, he, does, he didn't look like he was God incarnate, isn't it? I want you to think about this. Like it's like if you, if you walk into the streets and uh, say, for example, a general in the army, most revered man in the army, and he takes off his uh, general clothes and he just adorns the uh, civilian clothes. And he's coming out in his t-shirt and jeans and his sneakers and he's uh, walking on the streets. 
When you look at him, can you recognize that this is a general? Probably not, just like anybody else. The same thing, if you were living in Palestine at the time and you watch Jesus walking in the streets, you won't pay attention to him thinking that, oh, here's the son of God. He will look ordinary like everybody else. But he took that form of a servant. So I want you to think about this. What is the difference between him being fully God and fully man? That's the key. There are two words that in the Greek I want you to capture. One is the word where we said he, it's the word morphe. It's a second word, schema. Schema means the appearance. He had the appearance of man. In other words, he also took the nature of man, but at the same time, he also had the nature of God. Both lived together with him. And both lived in unity in, in him, in union in him, in perfect harmony in him. He was fully God and fully man. Maybe I'll let me explain this in another way. Imagine you are going to have a kenosis experience, emptying yourself experience. How? Imagine that you, your soul comes out of your body. That means you shed your body. Your external flesh is all gone. Now you only have your nature, which is your soul, your nature as a human being. And now imagine if you're putting your nature and you want to enter into the body of a dog. That means you want to now become one of the dogs, right? So you have, your nature is now entered into the, into the dog but you also will have the dog nature. You will have both the natures inside of you. But you, with, your, with your current nature as a human being, you can speak, you can think, you can, rationally, you can rationalize and you can make decisions. But as a dog, you won't be able to speak, you can only bark. And you will make decisions based on instinct. Both coexist internally. There are some limitations where you won't be able to use the, the, the nature of a human being inside there, there will be some limitations because you're using it through the body of a dog. In the same manner, I want you to catch this picture. Jesus was fully God, but there were some things that he had to set aside. That is what it means that he emptied himself. He emptied himself means he set aside certain things, but he didn't certainly did not set aside his deity because if he set aside his deity, he cannot die for us. His sin, his, 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 uh, his sacrifice will be null and void. The only reason why his sacrifice was acceptable for our sin is because he was fully God. But at the same time, he was also fully man because he endured the shame. He endured the cross. He endured the suffering. He endured the pain. And God cannot die, but Jesus died. You know why? Because he was also fully man. So I want you to catch this picture. He was fully God and fully men. So whenever you read this word kenosis, you need to conjure up this image that he, God, God, Jesus is the God man. He was fully God and fully man. And that is the sacrifice he had to make. But as Jesus was fully God, he had to let go of certain things in order for him to take the likeness of men. What were some of the things he had to let go? What did he give up? His attitude of lowliness is shown in what he gave up. What did he give up? Firstly, he gave up his glory. Look at this in John chapter 17 and verse 5. Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus set aside his glory. In other words, his glory was veiled. 
The human beings could not see the glory of God in him while he was walking on the face of the earth. But three disciples saw it one day. In the Mount of Transfiguration, God just unveiled the glory a little bit. He shone the glory of Jesus. They could not see. They were frightened. Listen, that glory he had set aside. The second thing is Jesus gave up his honor. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3, he was despised and rejected by man. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Listen, he was not a person whom the people readily accepted. They despised him. They spat on him. They rejected him. They shamed him. They dishonored him. And Jesus endured all of that. Why? Because he gave up his honor. Thirdly, he gave up his riches. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I want you to circle that. Yet for your sake. For your sake and my sake, Jesus, who was rich, became poor. In other words, through his poverty, you and I can be restored in relationship with God. And today we can enjoy the blessing of the Lord. That is what it is. He emptied himself, emptied of the riches that belonged to him, the honor that belonged to him, the glory that belonged to him. Finally, he gave up the right to exercise his rights. He gave up his rights. One of the core things that Jesus, as, as God, he, had, he, he, he set aside the independent exercise of his godly authority. He, ex, he set aside his right to use his right. And that is what happened. That's why even on the, on the day when they came to arrest him in Garden of Gethsemane, Peter took a sword and cut off the ear of one of the soldiers. What did Jesus do? Jesus said to Peter, Peter, if I want help, I can call the legions of angels to come and help us. In other words, Jesus had all, the, all that right to, to, to demand the angels come and rescue him, but he didn't. He gave up his rights, the, the exercise of his authority. And this is exactly what I want you to catch because you and I, we need to see that this is what Paul is trying to help us see it. If you want to live with the mindset of Jesus, if you want to work towards unity in the household, unity in the church of Jesus Christ, unity in wherever God brings you, how do you do that? You got to have that mindset that was in Jesus. Though he was God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but rather he emptied himself and he took the form of a servant in the likeness of human being. Why? Because he came to serve us. So he took the lowliness of position. Now think about this church. How many, um, how many places marriages will be restored? How many marriages will be restored if people know how to humble themselves and take the position of lowliness? You know, in preparation for this sermon, I was uh, just typing on Google to see what are some of the ridiculous reasons people give for divorce. <laughs> some ridiculous reasons. In Japan, a woman... And asked for divorce from her husband because the husband did not enjoy the movie Frozen as much as she did. This is what happens. 
a man submitted a divorce paper towards his wife because he didn't want to eat her tuna casserole anymore. <laughs> a 99-year-old Italian man filed for divorce for his 96-year-old wife after 60 years of marriage because of, a letter, or because of the letters she had kept, which she wrote 60 years ago to her lover. <laughs> All these things are, you know, people, people will come and fight for their rights. People will come, they, they want to have the first place. They want to do this. But listen to me carefully. If we take the posture of humility, there will be reconciliation. If we take the posture that is lowly in position, God can intervene. And that is exactly what Paul is trying to address here. He says to the two ladies in chapter 4 and verse 2, I entreat Euodia and Syntyche, what? To agree in the Lord, to have the mindset. What is the mindset? The certain way of thinking. The certain way of thinking is to take the lowly position. Hallelujah. And if you can do that, you will follow the example of Christ. And that is what Christ did. He did not grasp anything, but rather he took the form of a servant to truly become a servant among us. As I said, that word servant is the word doulos. It's the word for slave. When Jesus was walking on the earth, he actually said to his disciples, go with me to Luke chapter 22 and verse 27. He was explaining to them who is greater. He said, for who is greater, the one who reclines a table or the one who serves? You think about this. You walk into a, a, a mansion. There is a rich person who is your host and he reclines on the table and he has wait staff around him. So who is greater, he says. Is it the man who is serving or the man who is being served? Who is greater? But you know what Jesus said? Is it not the one who reclines at table? Of course, they will all say, yes, the one who reclines on table and someone is waiting on him, that man must be greater. But you know what Jesus said? But I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus came as a servant. Jesus came to leave an example for us as a servant. He came humbly to serve us. He emptied himself, gave up his position of rights. He gave up certain things in order to take the position of lowliness and the likeness of people so that he can serve us. Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, the Bible says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve and to give his life. This is the key that you and I, we need to capture. You know, many times we forget that this Jesus that we talk about, he's the one who created everything. As fully God, he's the one who created. The Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse 3, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Does that make sense? Everything that you see in this world was made through him. Not only that, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, the Bible says, Colossians 1, 16, for by him all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. I want you to circle that. It is for Jesus that all these things were created. It was created through him and for him. But even though he's the owner of everything do you know when he lived on earth he owned nothing while he was on earth he was a servant of all that's why he had to borrow everything in his life 
He had to borrow a woman's womb to be birthed. He had to borrow a manger where he was born. He had to borrow a boat from where he would preach his sermons. He had to borrow an animal to ride into the city of Jerusalem. He had to borrow a womb, a tomb where he would be buried. He owned nothing, everything he had to borrow. Yet he had the right for everything, yet he did not exercise that right. He did not exercise the right for his entitlement. Instead, he set it aside. For who? For you and for me. If Jesus left us a model, this is the model. He says, I have come to take that lowliness of position in the likeness of people. Why? So that I can serve them. Hallelujah. I pray that every husband will take that posture in the household. I pray every wife will take that posture in the household. I pray that every parents will take that posture with their children in the household. And I pray every church member will take that posture with the church leadership. Because if we are here together, take that mindset of Christ and we say we are here to serve one another. I tell you what, we will get along. There will be a unity. That is exactly what Paul was saying. There is an attitude of humility that comes from Christ. And because of who Christ is, he showed it to us that if he can let go and take a humble posture, how much more you and me. The second point from here is Jesus' mindset is one of lowliness shown in his service, but now love shown in his sacrifice. It is the ascendancy of love shown in his vicarious sacrifice. I want you to grab this. Verse 8, the Bible says, and being found in human form. See, in the Greek, I already said to you, there are two words for form. One is morphe, and the other one is schema. Here, being found in human form is the word schema. That means God, fully God. Jesus is fully God and fully man. As fully man, he was born as a baby. So when he was a baby, he had the schema of a baby, the form, the appearance of a baby. And as he grows older, he has the form of, a, of an adult. Being found in human form, now the Bible says he humbled himself. Circle that. He humbled himself. There was a love that was shown in his sacrifice. How? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. A couple of things I want you to pay attention to. Because he not only emptied himself, but here the Bible says he humbled himself. You know, being God, he humbled himself to become form of man, form of a servant. But not only that was a humiliation, it was a humiliation. See, for you to become a dog, it's humiliation. For an infinite God to become a man, a finite man, that is humiliation in itself. But yet Jesus willingly, voluntarily came in the form of a likeness of a servant. Servant took the form of a servant. Why? He wanted to show love to you and, and he wants to reach out to you. That's what he did. But here the Bible says he humbled himself. So not only a God became man, that was humiliation enough, but he also became obedient to the point of death. So God becoming man was already a humiliation, but man going through suffering, Jesus went through suffering, being despised, being, being flogged, you know, being beaten up, all those things that he endured, the humiliation, being spat upon, being called names, 
Wow, he endured all of that. But then he died the death of a criminal. To die for God to be, to, for God to die. You know, it's unthinkable. That is why the Bible says in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was crying out to the Father because his, his, sweat, became, his, his sweat became drops of blood. Why? Because as an as a, as a eternal being, God, now having, the, the, having, uh, having the, the form of man, he now has to willingly lay down his life and die. See, he, death cannot come and lay hold of him. He has to voluntarily die because he's fully God. At the same time, he's also fully man. But you know what he said? He was willing to go through that. Wow. I want you to pay attention to this. The Bible says he humbled himself. Not only he humbled himself from the point where he came from God becoming man, but from the, from the man he suffered, from the suffering he died as a criminal, and not only died as a criminal, the Bible says even the death on a cross. Wow. Why is even a death on a cross specifically mentioned? You know, for many of us, cross is like a symbol that people, you know, um, they wear it even in their chains and, and they showcase. But it's like walking around with an electric chair or walking around with a, uh, with, a, with a rope from which people hang themselves. Listen, it's an execution. But this is the worst kind of execution. The Jewish people will never uh, desire anyone, even their worst enemies, to be executed like this. But they wanted this for Jesus. And the Bible says in Deuteronomy that if anyone who is hung on a tree, they are cursed of God. That's why it's the worst form to die. And the Bible says he humbled himself. How did he humble? He humbled himself to becoming a form of a man. But then he humbled himself to suffer and then to die as a criminal. But not only die as a criminal, but the worst kind of death, which has the most excruciating pain, the death on a cross. And the Bible says Jesus went through all this. For what purpose? Just to establish how much he loves you and how much he loves me. So I want you to see this picture. His ascendancy of love is shown in two things. In his unforced submission and in his unmatched sacrifice. What is his unforced submission? He humbled himself. You and I, we need to humble ourselves. See, the Bible never says, go humble your wife. Go humble your children. You know, you and I cannot humble another person. You can humiliate another person, but you can never bring that attitude of humility, humble themselves. We need to humble ourselves first. We model the humility that we design others by becoming humble first. That's why you first, Jesus, others, and you. If you put Jesus first and then others, then you will take that posture of humility and you will humble yourself. If a husband can do that, marriage will be saved. If a wife can do that, marriage will be saved. If a children can do that, there will be peace in the household. If parents can do that, the children will not be exasperated. Listen to me carefully. If everyone in the church can do that, I humble myself. Listen to me, in this, in this day and age, Everybody is entitled to their rights and they fight for that. If, if it's not just personal rights, it's the political rights. It's the people group that you belong to and you push that agenda. Or you collectively uh, gather a few people who are thinking the same things and then you push your agenda. But the Bible says that's, not, that's, that's how the world behaves. But how you and I behave is that we 
that we have an unforced submission. We humble ourselves. And that is what Jesus did. You know, a story was told of uh, a prince who, got, who fell in love with a peasant maiden. And this girl, she's poor, she's in the village. But this prince fell in love with her. So he was thinking about how can I woo her? How can I fall, make her fall in love with me? So he thought about a couple of things. Maybe I should bring her into the palace. And when she comes into the palace, she will see all the beautiful splendor. And then she will be impressed and she will fall in love. Then he thought, but that will be of disadvantage. What if she falls in love with the splendor first? And therefore, as a result, she has to love me. So then he decided, maybe I'll go to her village. Maybe I'll go with all the chariots and, and all my entourage and then show and then call her to come how much I love her. But then he decided against it. He realized even that would not be of any use because she will fall in love with the splendor. So this is what he finally decided. He said, I'm going to go into that village as a villager, as a woods, woodsman. I'm going to just go there and work in the farms and continue to work and be among them as one of the villagers and then get to know this girl and get this girl to know me and she will fall in love with me. And when she does, then I will reveal to her who I am. This is exactly what Jesus did. He loves you that much. He loved you that much that he humbled himself. He went through the process of humiliation. Why? Because he loves you. He loved you that much that he said, I cannot live without you. That he set aside his rights. He set aside his glory. He set aside his own honor. He took the form of the likeness of men, the form of a servant and came searching for you and me. That is how much he loves us. If we do know the love of God, oh wow, nothing else will matter. You know, in response to this kind of love, you know what God requires from us? that we never doubt him, church. That we never say to him, I can't trust you. And don't have any fear in your life. Because if you truly understand this love, fear won't be part of your life. And if you do have fear, that means you're doubting his love. So come to that place where you can boldly recognize, he loves me, hallelujah. He loved me, he gave himself for me. He humbled himself, an unforced submission. Secondly, it's an unmatched sacrifice. What is the unmatched sacrifice? He died the death of a criminal, but not only did he die, even to the point of dying on a cross. That is, wow. The Bible says, many, maybe someone will die for a righteous one, but for a wicked one, who will die? Jesus did. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Endured the shame, endured the punishment. You know, in his book, Love of God, Oswald Chambers writes this. Our Lord did not say to his disciples, I have had a most successful time on earth. I've addressed thousands of people and been the means of their salvation. Now you go and do the same kind of thing. Instead, you know what Jesus said? If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
So Jesus did not ask us to go and, and bring the masses and preach to the masses and do all that. That's how successful I am. You should be successful too. He didn't say that. Instead, what he said, I washed your feet. Now you go do wash other people's feet. In other words, I came to serve. You go and serve. But you know, the interesting thing that this author observes is this. He says, we will wash the heathen's feet. We will wash the feet in the slums. But fancy washing my brother's feet, my wife's feet, my husband's feet. No, we won't. Listen, you are willing to wash someone else's feet. But your own neighbor, your own relative, your own husband, your wife, your children, your brother in Christ. Or you won't. You know why? We have pride. See, true humility is where Jesus submitted himself. He humbled himself. And he was willing to die all the way on the cross. Accursed is he who hangs on a tree so that the blessing of God can come upon you and me. The Bible says to the husband, husband, love your wife even as Christ loved the church and gave himself completely for the church. Jesus died to make the church look good. Husband, are you willing to die to make your wife and your family look good? Listen. You won't do it if you are, <laughs> if you are so self-centered, so ambitious, and selfish ambition and conceit plagues you. But if you have humility of heart, that's what Paul is saying, that you will be able to embrace that. Hallelujah. Jesus, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the shame. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? It's you and me. You and me are the children that are born as a result of his sacrifice. He's the seed that was planted. God planted one son as a seed and he now got sons as harvest. And Jesus was that one seed. And Jesus endured the shame, suffered through the cross. Why? He saw the joy of the redemption of mankind. And that is the reason why he was willing to go through that. So you and I, we need to come back to recognize the unmatched sacrifice of Jesus. Thirdly, the mindset of Jesus is this. Lowliness shown in his service. Love shown in his sacrifice. But now, lordship shown in his significance. It's the authority of lordship shown in his victorious significance. Look at verse 9 all the way to verse 11. Let's read it together. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Hallelujah. I want you to think about this. Therefore, verse 9. So verse 6 all the way to verse 8, it was the pain that Jesus had to go through. But from verse 9 to verse 11, it's the gain that Jesus received. From verse 6 to verse 8, it's the humiliation that Jesus had to endure. But verse 9 to verse 11 is the exaltation that follows humiliation. God is the one who exalts the humble. And here in the life of Jesus, Paul addresses and he says, if you humble yourself, you empty yourself, you humble yourself and you take the form of a servant and you serve others, put their interests first, God will lift you up. You humble yourself, God will exalt you. But if you exalt yourself, God will humble you. 
Isn't that what the New Testament teaches us? Here's a beautiful picture of a relationship between God and Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God and God the Father. The beautiful picture is Jesus humbles himself for our sake and God exalts him and gives him the highest place. That's exactly what will happen, Paul writes. Why does he want you to uh, go through persecution? Why does Paul want you to endure the suffering for the sake of others? Humble yourself. Put aside your perceived rights and your personal ambitions and embrace others. Count others worthy. Count others better than yourself. And lift others up. Look for the interest of others. Why? Knowing this, that when you humble yourself, God will exalt you in due time. And that exaltation comes from God. So in this case, Jesus is now exalted. I want you to capture this. His authority of lordship is shown in two things. In the exaltation of his position and the exercise of his power. Look at the position. He took the position of lowliness. Now God is giving him the position of the highest honor. The Bible says in verse 9, Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Do you know this implies that when Jesus died on that cross, the Bible says on the third day, God raised him back to life. And not only God raised him back to life, on the 40th day after his resurrection, in the middle of all the witnesses, the Bible says Jesus ascended into heaven. And when he ascended into heaven, the son of God received a grand welcome. Not only did he receive a grand welcome, the Bible says God made Christ sit at the right hand of God, God the Father. In other words, Jesus, fully God and fully man, now he has resurrected from the dead. He is still fully God and fully man. Listen, he is the God man. And this God man now he's exalted and he is now seated at the right hand of God. And the Bible says God has exalted him. See, Jesus is fully God. You can't exalt God. But as a man, he can be exalted. He did not have certain things before, but now he has it because he has become fully man as well. Because he's fully God and fully man, today he can be an intercessor for us. At the right hand of God, the Bible says he makes intercession for us. Why? He becomes a high priest. And he cannot be a high priest unless he was a fully man. He was fully God. And now he is fully man. Therefore, at the seated at the right hand of God, he now can intercede for us. And when he prays, he knows what you and I are going through. Why? Because as a fully man, he had experienced the same temptations. Fully man, he experienced the same suffering. He knows what it means to be despised. He knows what it means to be rejected. He knows what it means to go through mental agony. He knows what it means to suffer unjustly. And he knows what it means to have hunger and thirst. He knows what it means to be human being. And because he understands you, he's now seated at the right hand of God, fully God, but as fully man, he also represents you. As God-man, he now intercedes for you. Hallelujah. God has highly exalted him. And this exaltation is also because it's tied to the name that God has given him. Look at that verse in verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. 
Now, you got to ask yourself this question. What is the name that is above every name? You know, the name Jesus is his earthly name. Yeshua in the Hebrew or Joshua in Hebrew. And that name, Jesus, is his earthly name. But what is the name that is name that is about every name? The name that is about every name is found in verse 10. It is the verse, it's the word Jesus is Christ, is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And the word Jesus Christ is Lord is the name that is given. In other words, Jesus has been exalted to the highest place. And now God has given him the name. What is the name? That he is Lord over all creation. That he is Lord over everything. What does Lord mean? Owner, master, king. You know, when Jesus was on earth, when he was walking among people, sometimes people did not recognize him. Sometimes people did not recognize him as the son of God. The most they can subscribe to him is that he is a good teacher, but they did not worship him or bow down to him and acknowledge him as God's son. He's the son of God or God incarnate. But one day the Bible says the whole world will acknowledge that he is God. And that is the reason why Jesus has been exalted and the name that has been given is the name that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. And the Bible goes on to say, Paul writes and he says, this Jesus Every knee will bow. Look at that in verse 9. Every knee, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven. Who is in heaven? The angels will bow down to Jesus. The saints who are already in heaven, they will bow down to Jesus. On earth, what is on earth? Principalities. What is on earth? Kings of this earth. Governors, presidents, prime ministers. Anyone and everyone who don't acknowledge him today will one day acknowledge him as Lord. Hallelujah. Listen. And then he goes on to say, under the earth. Under the earth meaning demons in hell. Jesus Christ is now given the highest name, the most honorable position. That is Jesus Christ is Lord. And every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and underneath the earth. Does that mean that everyone will be saved, pastor? No, not that everyone will be saved. This is not universal salvation. But I want you to recognize this, that everyone will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Today, they deny his existence. Today, they question whether he walked on earth. Today, he, they reject him. Today, they are anti-Christ. But one day, they cannot. One day, they have to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. So you have an option today. Either you can acknowledge Jesus as Lord today and one day join the whole host of heaven and earth and under the earth and you will be joyfully saying Jesus is Lord. Or today you deny him, reject him, but one day you have to join the host of heaven and earth and hell and you have to declare that Jesus is Lord painfully. Listen to me carefully. In the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, the Bible says, every eye will see him. Every eye. One day they will see the one whom they pierced. And everyone will see because when he comes back in glory, the second coming of the Lord Jesus, he, every eye will see him. Technology will help, but every eye will see him. Not only that, in chapter 19 of Revelation, and look at verse 16. His robe and on his thigh, a name written, 
He has a name written. What is the name? King of kings and Lord of lords. I want you to think about this. He's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. He's the king of all lords. And he's the Lord of all kings. One day, everyone will bow. Every knee will bow. Not only that, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When he was on earth, they didn't acknowledge him. Even today, they despise him and they don't acknowledge him. But one day, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we see his authority of lordship shown in the exercise of his power and the exaltation of his position. In closing, let me give you this. Paul is writing this passage. You know, in many of your Bibles, you will see verse 6 to verse 11 in italics. It's almost like it's a different way of uh, printing it. Why? Because verse 6 to verse 11 used to be an old hymn. It was the song that the, they sung in the first century. It was the song the early church sang. It was probably the creed. But our Paul takes that and he places it right here in the context of relationships. And he says that if your circumstances where you're having opposition from outside, or if you have competition on the inside, you have to embrace this mindset. How can I live a gospel-centered life? The only way you live a gospel-centered life is that you take the mindset of Jesus Christ. And the mindset of Jesus Christ is seen in these three landscapes in the life of Messiah. What is the three landscapes? And all these three landscapes requires, a, demands a response from us. What are the three landscapes? One, the lowliness shown in his service, the love shown in his sacrifice, and the lordship shown in his significance. And what is the response he demands from us? He responds the demand. The response he demands from us is the response of absolute surrender in our walk. The response of genuine humility in our work. And the response of sincere gratitude in our worship. See, in your walk, there has to be an absolute surrender. He humbled himself. He emptied himself. For whose sake? For your sake and my sake. Therefore, what do we do every single day? We empty ourselves. And we humble ourselves. Can I humbly say this, church? If the self is on the throne of your heart, if self is on the throne, then Christ is on the cross. If Christ is on the throne, then self is on the cross. You cannot have both Christ and self in your heart. Someone is sitting in the throne of your heart. So the response is absolute surrender in our walk. Secondly, it is the sincere gratitude. It's the genuine humility in our work. We need to humble ourselves and walk in, in humility. And Paul defines humility in this passage. It is counting others more significant than yourselves. It's looking out for the interest of others and not just looking at your own interests. And that is the genuine humility. And if we can work together like that, that's the response if you want to be gospel-centered. Thirdly, it is the response of sincere gratitude in our worship. Why did Christ die? He died because he came to save us. I want to give you the gospel in a summary. You and I, we have been created to live in God's design. You know what was God's design? God's design was that we will live in perfect harmony with him. 
perfect fellowship with him and perfect relationship with one another. But the Bible says Satan deceived man. And when Satan deceived man, man tried to grasp to become like God. Man disobeyed God. Man wanted to become like God in his own effort and he grasped something that God said don't. And as a result, sin entered the heart of man. Rebellion happened. Disobedience happened. And therefore, God who is just and, and holy cannot have fellowship with an unholy human beings. So there was a separation. But God knew what Adam lost can only be restored by another man. That's why God sent Jesus fully God, his own son. And yet man cannot die for himself. Man cannot rescue himself. No amount of his own work will rescue him because he, no matter how much he tries, he still has a sinful blood within him. That's why man's sacrifice can never save man. So what did God do? God sent his own son in the form of man, in the likeness of man, to take the nature of man. So Jesus, who was fully God, became fully man. And the Bible says Jesus, as a man, lived in perfect obedience to God, which you and I can never do. He not only lived the life you could never live, he also took upon himself the death that you and I rightfully deserve. And the Bible says Jesus humbled himself to the point of dying and the death even on a cross. The gospel is this, that you don't have to try anymore. You don't have to do better anymore. You don't have to try harder anymore. You don't have to rely on your self-effort anymore. You just have to trust that Jesus took your place and he died on your behalf. So what he did on the cross is credited to you. Your sins can be forgiven and your life can be turned around. Today, you can come back to Jesus. The Bible says, that's why Jesus said, if you are carrying heavy loads, come to me. I will give you rest. When you come to me, I will never deny you, Jesus said. And you cannot go to the Father except through Jesus. So if you come to Jesus, he will bring you into the eternal kingdom. You will become part of the family of God. You will be restored back into the right relationship with God as your father. And the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior and your elder brother and your king. And the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ will now reside in you. And you will know what it means to trust him and follow him every single day of your life. That's the gospel we believe in. The gospel is that Jesus died for me. The work that I could never do, Jesus did for me. I could never pay the debt, but Jesus paid it for me. And because Jesus paid it for me, he took my place of sin. I take his place of righteousness. I now have right relationship with God. And because I have right relationship with God, today I can be forgiven. I can be blessed. I can walk in the blessing of God. Hallelujah. When you identify yourself with Christ... That Christ died for me. Then if you acknowledge that, you will reign with him. You will live with him. And when he lives inside of you, you cannot have any other mindset except the mindset of Christ. That's what Paul is saying. You, if you are united with Christ, if the Holy Spirit that was living in Christ, the spirit of Christ is now dwelling in you, you cannot have any other mindset, my, mindset because you are now united in Christ and his mindset has become your mindset and his mindset is a mindset of service 
sacrifice, selflessness, because it's a mindset of humility. It is a mindset that put others first and you last. I want you to listen to me carefully. If that is what you are after, you know what will happen? There will be joy in your household. There will be joy and unity in the church. And that is what Paul was saying. So second, so I want you to take this to heart. That God loves you so much, but don't live a life without him. Embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for speaking to us so clearly. And thank you for leaving this model, an example of humility, a life of servanthood, a life of selflessness, a life of sacrifice, a life filled with love. Oh, hallelujah. Lord, I pray that every person under the sound of my voice, every family member, every church member will embrace this humility of mind, will embrace this servanthood, will embrace this selflessness, this sacrifice, that knowing that Christ died for us, knowing that Christ lives for us, knowing that Christ served us, knowing that Christ made all this sacrifice for us, and having that same mind that you will cause us to be selfless, cause us to be sacrificial, and cause us, mighty God, to serve you and to serve others. And therefore, there will be unity in the households, unity in the church. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for marriages that are struggling, that you will help them to take the humble posture. You will take them, you will give them grace to take steps of obedience to build a marriage rather than to wreck it. I pray for parents and children to have peace in the family. I pray, Father God, for your mercy to abound in this situation. And Lord, I pray that you give them grace to embrace the mindset of Jesus. So we give you all the glory, the praise, and the honor. Thank you for speaking to us. In Jesus' name, and the people of God said, amen and amen. Receive this benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you his peace. Go in his peace, church. Amen. We love you. God bless you. Thank you for watching, and we hope that you enjoyed the service. Please do leave a comment below on how you've been blessed by the service. And to take your next steps with us by going to connect.idmc.com.au. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel or follow our Facebook pages for all the latest sermons and contents. So God bless you and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you for listening to our message. We pray that God's word spoke to your heart and gave you an inspiration and encouragement. If you are truly blessed by this, would you take a moment to leave a comment or give us a rating on the Apple podcast service? Not only that, take an opportunity to share this on social media platforms so others who are in similar situations may be encouraged with the Word of God. We love you. If you want to connect with our church, go to connect.idmc.com.au and share with us where you're from, what you're doing, so that we can keep you in our prayers before the Lord. God bless you. 